Well, praise God. There we go. I'm always amazed when they go out. It's so confusing. You know, it's like we do something new every single week. You know, it's uh, it's really cute. Uh, just so thankful again to have the Olets with us. Um, uh, they're old friends, really, and it's incredible because we don't get that, that many opportunities to talk. But when we do talk, it's just like, you know, uh, we've been with them last week. And uh, just so thankful. And uh, when you look over um, evangelical uh, Christendom over the last, I would say, five to ten years, it's gone through, um, I would say, again, an alteration. And when you look at a lot of churches, there's a huge amount of churches that happen to be, again, struggling, you know, struggling again as far as uh, numbers, struggling as far as people falling away, you know, struggling as far as internal strife that happens to be, again, uh, in the body of Christ. And when you look at the Olets, they minister in what is the I would say, the hub of Canada as far as Roman Catholicism in Quebec City. Now, a lot of that's going secular. He's going he's to mention some of that in this afternoon's message. And I hope you're able to stay this afternoon. They're going to give a report about uh, everything that's going on in Quebec. So I hope you're excited about that. Because this is a thing you have to realize. Even though there's so many challenges that happen to be going on, it's amazing how God has opened the door to blessing for them. You know, and how God has richly encouraged them. Certainly there's struggles, there's difficulties. You know, we're always dealing with people who are in the midst of the sanctification process. We're always dealing with people who are sinners, you know, and still blind to their sin. And certainly there's difficulties and problems. But it's amazing to look at this church, you know, the growth of this church, uh, both spiritually and also numerically. And uh, we're so thankful for them and so thankful for uh, Simone. I've known him a number of years and uh, him and Elise have always had a heart for Christ, always had a cr- uh, heart for souls. And uh, when you look at church planters, a lot of times you, you look at church planters, and we choose church planters many times this way, when somebody has a heart for ministry, but they're really not that gifted. You know, let's put them in church planting. And really we should put the best people in church planting and, and as far as missionaries. And let me tell you, this couple is. You know, this couple, again, really has a heart. They have a personality to plant churches. To, uh, to, uh, Simone has a wonderful pastoral heart. And I hope I'm not embarrassing both of you, but uh, I'm just really, really thankful for them, thankful for their encouragement. Every time I'm, well, I'm with this couple, I walk away encouraged. And so I count them friends, colleagues in the ministry. And it's been a privilege in our church to uh, support them in the work of uh, in uh, Quebec St. Hubert first, right? And then, uh, is it St. Hubert? St. Jerome. I always name the restaurant, right? Right? That's the only thing that I associate with many times. So it's St. Jerome. But uh, so thankful for them. And I'm going to ask him uh, to come preach uh, to us. Praise the Lord for you, brother. Praise God for you. Bon matin, tout le monde. Good morning, everyone. It's the only French thing I'm going to say this morning. It's such a privilege to be here. My wife and I are very excited uh, to partner with you guys in uh, the gospel. Uh, as you will hear uh, this afternoon, God has done some amazing things in Quebec City, things that we wouldn't even dreamed of. And uh, I'm looking forward to be able to share it with you. If you would turn with me in your Bible in Colossians chapter 1. Sometimes in life it's hard to keep focus at the right place. We have trials, suffering, conflicts, hard tasks. It's so, easy, it's so easy to be distracted. Sometimes it's our ambitions or nostalgia that makes us lose focus. Sometimes we're so used to do things 
in a way that we don't lose focus, we're just doing it out of habit. It's, it's fine for simple things like brushing your teeth, but for a, for a walk with Christ, that can happen. We are bombarded from everywhere and from within to be self-centered, to be the most important person of our lives. And when we're self-centered, reaching the lost, mission, make Jesus known, is far from being our priority. What do we do? What do you do? Very often when, we, uh, when we we're being introduced as missionaries, people think we are superheroes. Oh, far from that. Very far from that. People think that we have that superpower that everything goes well. Uh, not really. No superpower and not everything goes well. No, no, we have uh, struggles. We have hard time. We have some very exciting times also. What do we do not to lose focus? Well, there's only one cure that I know. It's to gaze at Christ. And this is exactly what we're going to do this morning. And this text that we've read, this text we had in front of us, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 22, is one of, my fa- one of my favorite texts when it goes well in my life or when it's hard. Why? Because it keeps me grounded to the reality, to my reality, our reality, if you are in Christ. This text describes the best, as far as I'm concerned, in the Bible, the supreme worth of Christ. And let's start. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Paul is not here saying that Jesus is, is, an, is the image of God as a material being. No, no, it's way deeper than that. Jesus Christ, his person, his personality, his thoughts, his, his action, or the human translation of who God is. He is the picture of God. So when you see Jesus, you see God. And it's quite normal. He is God. The word image means that he's the ref- it means a reflection in a mirror or the impression of an image on a coin. The nature of God is perfectly revealed in him. So we're not talking about a copy. Christ is God. He's, it's written there that he is the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn. We usually use firstborn to talk about a sequence of birth. But in many places in the Bible, the same word is used to talk about someone who's honorable. And that's the case here. In our context, Paul is he's talking about the supremacy of Christ, his supreme dignity. Being the firstborn means that there's no one above him. Christ is the ruler over creation. He is the king of kings, as we sang. He's the Lord of lords. In verse 16, we read, For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or ruler of, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Everything was created by him. So there's no, no sphere, whether it be spiritual or material, no being, whether spiritual or material, that was not created by him. And look at the end of the verse. Through him, that, through him was, everything was created. He is the cause of everything that we see. He's the cause of the creation. He's the center. He's the beginning. Life proceeds from him because he is life. Everything was created by him. In him, life. In him, the manifestation of life through the creation. So we shouldn't be surprised that we call him the Lord. And it's far from being over. Everything was created for him. 
what was, the, what was his purpose to create this mass of elements that we call the universe? Why, create, why creating spiritual beings? Why? For him. Everything. Paul is very clear, and he's, he's repeating himself twice. Everything, all, has been created for him. But what does that mean? Every element in the universe, in, in, in the universe were created to bring him glory. Everything, whether they want it or not, exists to, give, to bring him glory. So the purpose of creation is to exalt the creator. Some will exalt him as a servant, as servants, and some as enemies. But we must rest assured, everything, everything exists for his glory. Satan exists to glorify Christ. Hitler existed to glorify Christ. Beauty, laughter, savior, colors, viruses, everything, everything exists to bring him glory, even winter. Winter. Our hair falls to glorify God. Dust exists to glorify God. Cancer exists to glorify God. Everything, even death. Our master has one goal for everything, magnify himself through everything. Whether it would be through purity and holiness or through judgment, Christ is always, always glorified. Always. Verse 17, we read, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is before all things. The expression here Paul is using demonstrates that Christ has no beginning. The creation, everything in creation has a beginning, but not Him. Christ was there before there was something. He is life. He is the source of life. So it's quite normal that he was there when life appeared, like the created life appeared. Creation comes from him. So Jesus is not limited by time. He was always there. It's not over. Like, like I've just read, he holds everything. Our master, our savior, holds everything together. Everything. Nothing in life is left to chance. There's not an atom that moves without him saying yes. There's not an angel moving with him without him saying yes. If matters is well organized, if our world, if the universe is not chaos, it's because Christ is holding everything together. Isn't that beautiful? He is life. He gives life. He holds together life. He is the one who holds the limit of the limits of life. Verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He reigns on his church. He is also the head of the body. The emphasis here is not that he gives life to the body, which he does, and we'll see just just a little uh, later. But here, Paul is saying that he, Christ controls his church. He's talking about the governance of the church here. He speaks of the sovereignty of Christ on the church. It's an echo of what Jesus said when he said, I will build my church. He's in control of the church. And the fact that Paul says he's talking about a, a body, it implies that the church is a living organism. That the body goes where the head wants it to go. Let's be clear. 
Christ do what he pleased with his church, with his body. Nothing happens in his church without his consent. As insane as it may sound, the church looks exactly at what it's supposed to look. The head leads the body. Just because we don't like, very often we, talk, we, we look at the church and we don't like what we see, it doesn't mean he's less in control of it. He reigns on everything, even on his body. So everything is for one thing, his glory. The church is exactly at the, in the place that Jesus wants so that he can glorify, so that it can glorify him. Oh, you might think, oh, I don't get it. That's all right. I don't either. But he does. That's all that matters. He does. He knows us. Every one of us. We've been celebrating his glory all around the world this morning. He knows us. And he knows what's going on. And he is guiding, leading his church. We read here the second part of the verse 18. He is the beginning. Paul here is talking about Christ is not only the head of the church. He is only the origin of the church. The first part, Paul talked about the governance here, that he is the life. The same development of creation is also applicable to the church. Everything was initiated by him. The plan, the plan execution, and how the good news was going to be spread. Everything's about Christ. All the time. All the time. So it's him from A to Z. That's why we call him the Alpha and the Omega. We read that he is the firstborn from the dead, like we saw just a few minutes ago. Being the firstborn can imply two definitions. Jesus is not the first one that, was, that rose from the dead, but he's the first one that rose from the dead with a spiritual life, with an eternal life. Christ has a life that no one before him had. Christ's resurrection life is so different from ours that he can communicate it with us. This is what Paul is talking about here. Christ, the head, the life. Communicating his life to his body, to us, to his church. Not only he guides his body, his life passes through the spiritual veins of each of his members. We are all united in him, in an eternal life. At the end of verse 18, we read, so that he himself will have come the first place in everything. Christ reigns on everything. I don't know if you've noticed, but in that passage, everything and all comes back. Those two words come, come, come very, very, is often mentioned. Paul wants to make sure that we understand that no matter where we look, no matter what we think about, Christ reigns. Paul wants there to be no doubt in anyone's mind. Christ is first in everything. There is not a place, not a being in all the universe and the spiritual realm that Christ cannot say, it's mine. Everything is his. He reigns on everything. Verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All that is in God, is also in Christ. Back then, there was people that thought that Jesus was less than God. Paul, his arguments are very clear. Oh, no, he's not. Jesus is God. 
And that's the end of his argument. Jesus is God, nothing less. And we could stop here. And that would be more than enough to awaken us the desire to trust him and to live only for him. But it's far from being over. Verse 21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, we were enemy Enemies of God. Enemies of Christ. Not, just not a little. Paul encompassed the mind and the deeds. Our whole being were enemies of God. And in Ephesians, Paul talks about children of wrath. This is what we were before we were in Christ. Completely alienated from God. There was an abyss that was separating us from God because of our sins. Our sin nature, for sure. But our willingness to sin. Everything about us was alienated from God. And although, and through him to reconcile all things to him, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth things or things in heaven. From being separated, we are now reconciled. And, all, and although... You were firmly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil indeed. Yet he has now reconciled you and his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. From being separated, we're now reconciled. Through the work of Christ, we are now in him. We're now children of God. His heirs, royal priesthood, citizen of heaven, through the work of Christ, we are alive of his life. The expression in him means that we are perfectly united to him. We are one with him. And if you could just turn a, few pa- a page and go, through, uh, go to chapter 3, verse 3. This is one of the most amazing verse to me. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We are hidden in Christ, in God. We are one with him. Isn't that amazing? Once we were separated, we wanted to be separated. By nature, we were separated. But now we are in Christ, with Christ, one with him. We, are, we have his life in us. This, that's mind-blowing to me. And verse 22 talks about that we're not only in good terms with God, with one with him. We are perfect in his, in his eyes. This is so amazing to me because I know who I am. I know my thoughts. I know what I've done. Me perfect? Ask my wife. She'll have her doubts. But the Bible is very clear. God doesn't see Simon Ouellette anymore. He sees Christ when he looks at me. That's the best news ever. When God looks upon me, he sees Christ, the perfection, the righteousness of Christ. Not my sin, not my heart, his son, Jesus. Since I'm in Christ, united to Christ, we are perfect. I am perfect. Even though we live as sinners, we are forgiven sinners. We were graced, and God sees his son, Christ. Christ is supreme. Christ reigning over all. Christ sustaining 
everything. He is in control of everything. Not only that, Christ died for me. This amazing God came and died for me. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, what is not working well in your life? Do you have anything that is out of control in your life? Do you have a discomfort that is too uncomfortable? Is there a circumstance that seems out of control to you? Are you worried about something or about someone? Even if our eyes see chaos, God is very clear. Stop and know that I am God. Very often we are so self-centered and the only thing that we see is sin, discomfort, we see chaos, and we forget God. We forget who he is and who is Christ and who we are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ reigns today in your life, in our world, anywhere we look. He reigns and everything exists to bring him glory. He's not just king in theory or when we let him be king. No, 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 no. He reigns. We don't... We, we don't make him glorious. No, no, no. We just recognize that he is glorious. That's who he is. This is all that matters in our lives. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever the circumstances in your life, the only thing that really matters is, is that he, he is who he is and we are in him. It's that truth that should be the driving force of our lives. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. This is what we're going to be singing to him for all eternity because we will have him in front of us. But by faith, we can do it today. By faith, we can choose to recognize his glorious worthiness in every aspect of our lives, and just worship him. Worship him at work, worship him at home, worship him with everything that we have, everything that we are, because this is, this, he's worthy of that. So what do we do now? First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, an amazing verse. But you are a chosen race. That's you, all of us. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why were, why were, were we saved? To proclaim his excellencies. Isn't that amazing? We're here today. We're saved. We have this glorious hope. We have his life in us. Why? So we can proclaim the excellency of, of him who called us from, from the pit of darkness, from our sins, to light, to his glorious light. If Jesus is worthy, oh, oh he is worthy. Every one of us should spend our whole life being a billboard of his excellencies to the, to the world. And so you, you might say, oh, I don't know how to do it. I, I, I can't do it. I, can, I, I cannot speak well. I don't know enough. Oh, well, if you believe in Christ, if you believe he died for your sin, you've got plenty to, to share to anybody who wants to hear it. And if it, they don't want to hear it, you've got still plenty of things to tell the world of who he is because you know who he is and you know what he's done and you know what the, the, the changes that he, he, he's done in your life. 
oh, we have so many reasons not to obey. We have so many reasons not to love. We have so many reasons not to spend our lives making good choices to glorify him. But that's wrong because he's worthy of everything. He's worthy. We, very often, we live our lives like we own it. We live our life like there's nothing better to do it. We, we live our lives for our vacation or for our retirement, for, for our grandkids or our kids or our wives or our husbands. <laughs> I love my wife. She's an amazing woman. She is. I could talk to you about her for hours. But she's nothing besides Christ. I will not be worshiping her for eternity, but I will be worshiping him for eternity. She's an amazing woman. She serves me for, she's been serving me for 25 years, but she never died for me. He did. Oh, how we should spend our lives reflecting on who Christ is and what he's done and what he has changed in my life. Let us taste this truth to such an extent that we will take every breath given to us to, to use it without reserve to the glory of our Savior. Oh, the Christian life is so much better than what we're experiencing right now. It's, it's so much bigger. That there's so much that we could do just to make him known. There's two billion people in this world that never heard about this amazing Christ that we love and worship. Not that they've heard the gospel and they have, they have refused it. Two billions of people never heard of the name Jesus. They don't know it exists. And there's no one to tell them, what are we going to do about that? Two billions. Just to let you know, there's eight billions of people in, in the world. There's one quarter of the world population that don't know who we worship. So they, don't, they, they, they can't refuse it. They don't know his name. What are we going to do about it? You may say, well, I'm not called to go elsewhere in North Korea or in India. No, but we can start by telling our neighbors about it. We can start with telling our co-worker about it, co-workers about it. We can start by just giving a pie to our neighbor or just helping someone to mow their lawns. We can start somewhere. If, if Christ becomes our priority, if our prized Loved one, we will do everything for him. Everything that we do will have one goal, one goal only, that people would know him. In Quebec, I'm going to share that this afternoon, but when God called me for ministry, I wanted to go to Russia. I wanted to be a missionary to Russia. Why? Because, I, I don't know, <laughs> that's where I wanted to go. But when I went to Bible school, I started to, to hear all those statistics, and I did some research on Quebec. In Quebec, they say, if we're being very generous, 0.7% of the population would call themselves evangelical Christian. So 0.7 needs to reach over 99.3% of the population. And you've been supporting us, so you've been partnering with us in reaching them. But what about you, personally, what will you do about it? What will you do? There, there's so many people that are, yes, they're going to hell without Christ. But he is worthy that they hear about it. Far more that they need it because they're lost. 
Christ is worthy that we spend our entire life making him known. He is worthy. So I don't know where you're at in your Christian walk. I don't know where you're at with your witnessing about Jesus, about what he's done in your life, about who he is. I don't know where you're at. But I'm sure, I'm positive, there's always more, more that we can do. How, how do you murmur in suffering? Is witnessing something that we shouldn't be witnessing to. We're witnessing our hearts, our crooked heart. Everything in our lives exists and are there to bring him glory. So where, where are you at? with your walk, with your life, with your witnessing, with your suffering, with the circumstances, with, with all the joy that you have? Is it, does it display Christ is Lord? He's sovereign over all. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy that I just obey. Where are you at? Because it's so easy, like I started, it's so easy to lose focus. So easy to be distracted. So easy to be on the cruise control and just go with the flow because we know how it's being done because we've done it a hundred years. No, let's be purposeful, purposeful about bringing him glory in everything that we do. Once again, thank you. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for praying with us. Thank you for supporting us financially. It's a joy to be... um, not, not only friends with Pastor Kevin and with you guys. It, it, it's a joy to know that we're not alone. We're not alone in this endeavor. We, we're all brothers and sisters walking the same direction, going to the same place and worshiping the same person. It is such a joy this morning to be able to, to share the word with you and this afternoon to be sharing what God has done in Quebec. And uh, I'm not going to say that much more about what he's been doing. Besides that... We've seen stuff in our church that I didn't think it could exist. It could happen. Just to give you an example, we've seen 25 people come to Christ in the last two years. You may say, hmm, that's nice. No, I never heard of that in Quebec. That doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And what we've done, well, just come this afternoon and you'll hear about it. I'm a good salesperson. And for now, I'm going to turn the service to Kevin Richard, Pastor Richard.